You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. Hi, everyone. My name is Rebecca Bogle, and I have the privilege of introducing my advisor, Dr. Schaefer. Um, I've had the pleasure of working with Dr. Schaefer for nearly three years now. And you can see some of the projects we've been working on around you in chapel today. Um, it's been said that you can learn more moving a coffee table with Dr. Schaefer than you can learn an entire semester's worth of class. Dr. Schaefer is truly brilliant and um, endlessly willing to help students who come to him for advice or one-on-one -on -one help for classes. Thank you. It's such an honor to introduce Dr. Julianne Burnett to you. Dr. Burnett joined the faculty of Asbury University as an assistant professor of Old Testament in 2020. She holds a PhD in Old Testament from the University of Manchester, an MA in theology from Wesley Biblical Seminary, an MA in biblical studies from the University of Exeter, a BA in theological studies from the University of Exeter, and an undergraduate diploma in Biblical and Theological Studies from Wycliffe Hall, Oxford University. Dr. Burnett is an Associate Fellow of the Manchester Wesley Research Center and also serves on their board. She enjoys traveling and has lived in various places in England, Mexico, and the, and the United States with her husband, Juan Gonzalez. If you've not had the privilege of having Dr. Burnett uh, as a professor in a class, or at least making her acquaintance, one thing you may not know about her is that she knows almost everything there is to know about magic in relationship to the Bible. I count Dr. Burnett a treasured colleague, friend, and sister in Christ. Please extend a warm welcome to both of our guests today. Good morning, Asbury. If you hadn't noticed, we're doing something a bit unconventional this morning, so please just go with it with us. Um, Dr. Schaefer and I are going to have um, some dialogue with you, with each other, and um, Rebecca is going to be doing some incredible things. So it's not actually a magic show, despite my academic interest in ancient magic, but it may feel slightly like that at times with what Rebecca's doing. So our theme is light. Um, light is both physically necessary for the created world and frequently is depicted both physically and metaphorically throughout scripture in moments of God's revelation to humanity. But why are we so dependent on light? And how is it that the more we investigate and study it, that it's, there's so much of it that is still actually unknown to us? With so much uncertainty we often experience in life, it may feel disturbing to realize how little we as humans actually know, and certainly how little we actually have control of. Yet the foundation in which everything stands is our all-loving, our all-powerful creator and Lord. So you're wondering, where does the theme of light come into all of this? Well, I'm gonna start with um, a prophecy from the prophet Isaiah, He's talking about um, the coming of the Messiah, and he's not using the word Messiah, 
But in chapter 9, verse 2, he says this, The people who walk in darkness will see a great light, and those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. We see this fulfillment, of course, in Jesus, in the New Testament. I'm going to pull one verse from the book of John, chapter 8, 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So Dr. Schaefer and I have been um, talking for a couple of years. He, of course, has been working in scientific research in the area of light, uh, as well as many other things. But during my first year here, he gave a presentation, an academic presentation, and it really sparked my interest because it was all on um, the physical sciences, his understanding of light, and the questions that he had where he understood that, um, hey, the theme of light actually gets used a lot in scripture. And of course, the theme of light is foundational in the sciences as well. And so this really sparked a point where we noticed actually there's this intersection between even our academic disciplines of Old Testament and chemistry, which seems to be the most odd um, combination of interdisciplinary dialogue. But not just this, um, we also have kind of been pondering on how the theme not just of light is significant, but also about the unknown and the known. What is it that we can study and observe? What is it we can know? And what are the things that we still have questions about? Even things like, um, what is the distance between creation and creator? That kind of thing. Now, I have heard Dr. Schaefer many times say, he is not a follower of Christ in spite of his career as a scientist. Rather, he the more he studies science, the more convinced he actually is of his faith and his commitment to Christ. And I think that's a really important thing for us to, um, to hear from him. This confidence in our sovereign creator gives space for questions, the study of the cosmos, and wonder at recognizing how truly little we actually understand about this created world. So I personally find um, this, this study, committing our minds to um, study. When we commit it to the Lord, when we commit it to the glory of God, it's an act of worship. These discussions seem very academic at times, but in fact, we are committing our full beings, our full minds also to the Lord. And so even see this interdisciplinary dialogue and our quirky lights going on, yes, we see this as a form of worship in itself. So light is so profoundly important in both the disciplines of physical sciences and faith and in fact, can you actually think of a discipline where light is not profoundly important? Is there anything that we do where light is totally irrelevant to the academic study or even to the practice? And yet nowhere is light fully understood or defined. Could it be that the answers to these, one must break the perceived barriers between faith and reason and scholars may be forced to reach across their borders to provide answers to the unknown. And Dr. Schaefer likes to say he does not set aside reason and science because of faith in Christ. And nor do I set aside reason because of my faith. So we want you to see this as actually the combination of asking questions both from faith, both from science, seeking answers, but actually seeing it together. These are compatible aspects of our lives. So during these collaborative discussions, we've both come to very similar conclusions about light 
both in the Bible and the physical sciences, light is very central, but itself is not actually defined. So Dr. Schaefer is going to talk to us from the perspective of physical sciences, and I will do the same from the Bible. And with us is Rebecca Bogle, and her team has worked a lot this weekend to set up, not just set up, but build the things that you're going to see. So these lights, yes, she has worked a lot on this. And I would say probably it's the first Asbury Chapel with a hologram as part of worship. So Rebecca is responsible for that as well. But what we want you to know up front is that we don't actually come here with a list of um, answers, of prescribed answers for you all, but rather a set of questions and really our ponderings that get us thinking deeper about our creator and how really our faith and our reason work together. So over to you, Dr. Schaefer. All right, lose this on? All right, how's it? So starting this from my perspective, just reading off this, the great paradox of the 21st century surrounds and blinds you but itself cannot be perceived. Yields discernment, but itself not understood. Allows matter to exist, but only when observed or infinite, like, in, infinitely lucky. Governs time and space, but itself not restrained. Begins life and life's end, but itself eternal. Is a cornerstone for many disciplines of thought and debate, but itself remains silent. Displays or removes all beauty, Horror, sadness, joy, peace, and comfort. But it is ever consistent. It doesn't slow down. It doesn't speed up. It is always there, essentially. If perceiving is accepting, why run from the inconceivable? Be frightened of the insurmountable. Expect the extraordinary absurdity or illuminate opened eyes in darkness when the only results bear this paradox. Ever since the dawn of human conscious, we have desired to understand its murky depths. We have worshipped it, been stunned by its beauty, written numerous songs, countless poems, and endless stories about it, its abundance. We have dumped trillions into attempting to control it, then use it to influence others. All technology is built to utilize this as an extension of our being. We search for ways to use it and bring out, like I said, a consciousness, wonder, and imagination to all other forms of art. Art would not exist without it in any form. Through it, we have defined truth and reality, Outside of it may lie the impossibilities as the only means for description. At the very core of our existence lies this paradox. Without it, the world would cease to exist. Light is truly the elusive particle, or wave, depending on your perception, I guess, and the only one that brings daily human response and understanding. Of all the 200-some particles, the photon is the one that we work with. Um, understand that I'm not referring to the light that you just see. I'm referring to all light, from radio waves to microwaves, that includes, yes, what you use to cook your food, to thermoscopes, which is infrared, to uh, visible, visible, the little strip that you can actually see, ultraviolet UV, essentially, X-rays, and gamma rays. So basically the whole thing of the electromagnetic spectra. So. Um, and they are lighting up this fluorescent light bulb that you can see right here. There are no wires connecting this light bulb to the plasma ball. It is just the proximity. So um, our current model of the atom is that it's composed of 99 point, a lot of nines percent empty space. Um, 
And basically, you can think of it as like the atom, the nucleus of the atom is a football sitting in the center of a football stadium, and the electrons are really, really, really small and slinging around the entire edge of the football stadium. Um, so we currently don't know exactly how photons behave, um, but we do know that we can do cool stuff like this with them. And that's why you can see the bulb lighting up, even though it's not really connected in the traditional sense to electricity. Yep. Tell us more, Dr. Schaefer, from your perspective on light. Your, your concept or your question about is light truly the independent um, with everything? In case you're not following all the science, don't worry. I don't either. I'm the genius that color-coded my notes for this morning and didn't have the realization until quite soon that actually everything would be in black and white. So that's to reassure you that I'm sure you understand just as much, if not more, than I do. And leave it to me to lose my place on this stuff because it's just the way it works for me. So one of the first things we've come across is that light is the independent, or is light truly the independent? Because is it, and this is a question scientifically really, is light truly the independent? Think about it from one perspective. Space-time is built upon the property of light. I mean, why is one, one of the reasons Einstein is so infamous? Is because of that. It is not time that is... A, a, a constant, it is not space that is a constant, but is the property of light. Is it truly the independent? On, on the flip side as well, quantum mechanics is also built solely off the back of light and one element that has itself bared itself essentially to us, the only one on the periodic table it has. Because of that, we actually have the murky depths of the quantum. God bless hydrogen. <laughs> yeah. Yes, because hydrogen is, I mean, if you look at the periodic table, hydrogen is the only one as well. We don't even know where it goes. You want to look at it from that perspective as well. So about 100 years ago, physics, or I guess 120 years ago, physics was a deterministic-based theory. Using Newton's laws, everything could be predicted. And in fact, physics was considered by some as a dying discipline. It was not something that you would go into unless you want to continue the decimal points. Right around the 1900s, again, thanks to Einstein and you could say Boltzmann and about 10 others as well, Dirac, it was broken by light, fractured in half. And it's because light is a particle or a wave. Which one is it you pick? It's both at the same time. In fact, over the past year, hundred years, all we have done is not only confirm that, but confirm the electrons are the same way, Protons are the same way, molecules are the same way, up to, guess what, I'm a particle or a wave at the same time. That's what we have learned. And so you, you could get down to this part as well. One of the more recent papers has also started going into this idea of time. Time is driven by coffee. Well, maybe light, but, well, you know, maybe not. Maybe it actually is driven by coffee. All right, so you see my, uh, well, used to be to your perceived orange coffee cup, and if I'm doing this right. So the idea was that you see this. A paper was recently published talking about how entropy drove time. Here's the thing. When you look at coffee and you see it steaming, what is truth in this is that it is not time that makes the coffee steam. It's the other way around. It's that by the coffee cooling is what drives time. 
Yeah, that's good, huh? So coffee may drive time, actually, in all reality. But in, in, in all sense of this, it basically means that there are two main theories if you look at it from the idea of physics, so I say. Forget the idea of a tree falling in the forest and making a sound. No, 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 it's worse than that. Because here's the thing. Based on one of the postulates, it just says that it's the sum of all things, if not observed. So you won't even know if the tree is a tree. Is it plywood? Is it ash? Toothpicks? A stand? Unless it's observed, you won't know. So forget the idea of making a sound. It doesn't make a difference. The other one is this, multi-universal overlaps of universes, multi-universe theory. You know, essentially, there's an infinite number of universes, and we just got lucky. Well, that's funny. What about heaven overlooking Earth? Yeah. Okay, I, I'm on board with the coffee stuff. <laughs> yes, I can do that. <laughs> um, certainly, of course, when we're thinking about the Bible, it's not a scientific textbook, right? It's not. Um, that's not what the ancient authors are addressing. That's not what the content is based on. Um, so we shouldn't expect it to speak directly to what is a definition of light or what is, um, what is a, a, a scientific explanation for it. And at the same time, we find an overwhelming number of references in Scripture where light is used both physically and metaphorically um, really to convey um, something that God is doing that's special. So if I ask you, just think for a moment, what scripture verses just pop into your head that have to do with light? It uses the word light, has the theme light, anything like that. And if you think about it, I'm going to guess that some of you are thinking about Genesis 1, let there be light. That's like a classic one for us to start with. Even from the very beginning, we're seeing how God is the author of all of the created world, including time, space, light, whatever light is. You might also think about Moses and the burning bush, um, where God is revealing himself through this, it's not really fire, but it looks like light and fire in this bush. Um, perhaps even in the New Testament, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Perhaps even our psalmist who says, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light to my path. So obviously we're not going to have time to unpack the context of all these verses and references, but what I want to do is just draw your attention to this particular sampling. Um, this is how God seems to choose to communicate in Scripture using this imagery um, or appearances of light quite a few times. Obviously visible light, it helps us to, to see, and so it's not a surprise that we would find that's a common theme in Scripture. But what I find is quite curious is in the Old Testament in particular, we have something called a theophany. Think to your OT100s. If you've taken it already, you should have come across the word theophany. What is it? It's when God chooses to reveal himself to manifest his presence in a very tangible, visible way on earth. Right? He's not bound to the created world, but this is the way he chooses to, especially in the, New, in the Old Testament before the incarnation of Christ. So while not exhaustive, it's often the form of light or fire, um, thunderstorms, for example, um, even sometimes smoke. We get examples of that. And so the examples that I shared from those passages a minute ago, um, really they're all connected to God's presence or his activity on earth, 
And then metaphorically, often light is used to represent God's guidance. So still an interaction with his created world in that sense. But this only makes sense for us if the Lord is truly the maker of all things. If he truly is all-powerful and is involved in the world, yet is beyond our world and is beyond creation. The psalmist ponders how God is all-knowing, all-powerful, and yet knows and loves us so intimately. So Psalm 139 verses 11 and 12 say, If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me, and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you, and the night is as bright as the day, darkness and light are alike to you. The only one who creates light and everything else can perceive it in this way. This is a big point for us to take away from this. There is no one else that can make that claim. So Dr. Schaefer, is light truly everywhere based on your scientific research? Because of course light is things that we don't even see with our own eyes. Um, But what do you think? Yeah, if if light's the independent, it should or would make sense that it's everywhere and, and it really is. And when we think about that, just again, the entire electromagnetic spectra, but even in the laws of thermodynamics, the third one speculates, talks about energy. There's just, it, it would be unfoundationally, it would foundationally break everything we had if light was not everywhere. It's also how we have been able to see how far our universe stretches at the 13.7 billion years ago, 14.7, and I forget which. But the far reaches of the light come in, it could be bigger. As far as we know, we don't, we don't. We only know by how much light reaches us. And all of this space essentially is filled with essentially light in some form or manner, cosmic background radiation. So yeah, it, it is definitely, so if that's the case, could it be at light where we need to start seeking the beyond? So. Rebecca. Yeah. So according to our current scientific theory, we can see about 0.0035% of light. Um, And out of that region, we only really truly see three colors. They're red, green, and blue. So um, I have a couple of lights here that you can see. And um, if I can find the third, there we go. So we can see three colors of light, and these three colors of light combine to make all of the other colors of light, including white light. If you don't believe me, you can check it out quite easily. You can put your smartphone under a microscope. You will only see three diodes of light, red, green, and blue. You won't see any other colors, no matter what color you pull up on your smartphone or look for. So you can see here our lights are kind of combining to form the white light. It's a little trickier with the sodium lights, but All right, so the other part is this, and this is one that is, is questioned or that I have been focused on or spent a lot of time on. If light truly is independent and everywhere, as a scientist, one of the things that's been most uh, confronting, shall I say, is that is it at light where our understanding begins, but if we don't itself understand light, is that where our understanding ends? As a scientist, that is somewhat scary to say. I don't want it to be like it was 120 years ago where everybody thinks all oh, science and the physics is dead, but then a foundational break happens, and which would be great if it did. But right now I don't know because we don't understand what light is. See, 
In, in photography, when you use light, you control it. You to control it to tell a story. In my sciences, it's the same way. It's, you control light to tell a story. And that's how we use to understand everything, essentially, is how light works. But like I said, you get this idea of a duality. Is light a photon? Is it a wave? You get to this, this um, fuzziness, shall I say. And so how light interacts with matter is how we've understood everything in that sense. But even think about it from photography, like I said, videography, go into art if you want to. And, and even further from that, like I said, if you want to go into business, how important is color in your models, in your work, in your marketing, psychology, right? Any of these kinds of things. I recently read a paper that talked about how there has been a great tie to our um, psychological being and vitamin D, light. That's how you make vitamin D, get enough sunlight. We are bound to light in that way. So we have learned from it. And even your mind works long distance by photons. But here's this as well. Keep going upon this. How does Wi-Fi work? Light. Well, everybody talks about 5G, 5G. What's 5G? Uh -huh. Radio waves, light. Electronic devices, like your phones, your computers, takes a photon converts it to an electron, back to a photon, back and forth we go, right? And, and all of this, so is it at that point, is it at light where we start falling apart of our understanding? Is it at light where we need to extend parts of this to try to go beyond that? So at the core of many disciplines, the thought of beyond the science is light. If light is truly independent, does it display the end of our understanding of science? That is something that I want to know. I don't come to you with an answer for that. We come with questions with that. It's foundationally interesting. But is it at that point where we need to start seeking? Because like I said, as a scientist, that kind of scares me. I want to know. And so it doesn't scare me in the sense that I'm hiding it. I'm coming at it from the front of this. I want to share that because is it there that we need to start seeking beyond, shall I say, or understanding more than what we have now? So now to the question you've probably all been wondering, how did we turn Hughes grayscale? I told you you can see three colors of light, but if you look around you right now, everything looks pretty grayscale with a hint of yellow. Um, so basically what we did was we took sodium lights, um, and sodium lights are literally sodium metal filaments, and they emit electricity in the form of light in a wavelength that is low enough energy that it can't, you can't see colors normally. It gets a little fuzzy on the purple spectrum, but you can't really see most other colors with the sodium light. And yeah, that's how we turned to use grayscale. It's pretty much all there is to it. Yeah, it's, uh, my coffee cup is orange, right? Maybe it's just a figment in your imagination that it's orange. So the last part is this. And part of what we're looking at is that, you know, Einstein's famous equation, which most people only know half of it, is equals mc squared. It's actually only half the equation, but we'll go with it. And it, it basically talks about how equating matter to energy. Well, how is light created? By matter. Right? The lights around you, the lights below, everything by matter. You emit light. Do you realize that? You just can't see it. 
get a thermoscope and you'll be able to see it, you glow brightly. But do you realize the things in the weight of what Rebecca had been saying on these demonstrations? If your atoms are essentially 100% empty space, how can I count you present today? How are you not absent? Doesn't matter, I'm not here anyway, right? Right, I, I don't, I'm made up of what? 99% vacuum. And in regards to what you see, it's just as bad. Like she said, you see 0.035% of light, but it's actually worse than that. You only see the three colors, but then you have to deal with the fact that it instantaneously has to bend all light to you in one place, right? So you can't see. It's all that way. But in all of this gravity, is it really that we are made of compressed light? Particles exchange and interchange a lot in the quantum world, and then you cannot take anything in the physical classics that you would consider my f and, and take it into reality. My favorite description of an electron, it is a rotating ball. It's not a rotating ball. So what I'm trying to say is that all the things around you, including the light, including the sun today, which warmed you up, you can walk around and have the sun warm you up, but how crazy would you be considered if you're going to go walk and shake its hand for keeping you alive? Light is emitted by matter. Are we made solely of light? Then we're just not able to see it? Again, it's a question. It's both scientifically and non-scientifically in that way. So, yeah, I mean, for sure. <laughs> It's hard to follow up with that. But I want to briefly conclude, just pull a few points together um, from what we've looked at and um, what, what is it that we do know. And certainly we can suggest that we need to hold mystery and understanding in tension. Um, neither of us has all the answers to this. We've hardly scratched the surface. I'm still learning a great deal about um, science. Um, but what I do know is that light is both physically and metaphorically used throughout scripture in um, huge ways, both for God to reach us, to interact in our lives, but also to reveal more of himself to us. So I find that very interesting. Um, the more we study light itself, the more we don't seem to understand precisely what it is, but what we do know is the one who created everything did it with purpose. He continues to use light to sustain us and to reach us. So returning to um, the verse I read at the beginning from John 8, 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And this light of life is something only our creator and savior can truly give. Yeah, and so one last thing I've got as well is that when you look out a window, if we are truly made of essentially 100% vacuum, how do you have an image in a window? What tells the light to reflect back to your face? Could it be that the very foundations of the unknown literally stare you in the face? While you sit there and drink your coffee and you watch time pass by and stare in a window to understand whether you truly are a figment of your own imagination, go back to the very beginning and stand on the only solid ground we have of Jesus and begin to ponder, because it, could it be here? Could it be now? Define light. Thank you.